The Evolve Pod is hosted and produced by TriSwimCoaching.com, the home of expert swimming, open water and triathlon coaching for all abilities in Oxfordshire. If you're interested in getting involved in multi-sport, please visit TriSwimCoaching.com and get yourself set up for a free consultation with me to see how we can help your triathlon performance. We're also supported by Notepad. Notepad are a kick-ass Birmingham-based branding agency who formulate crystal clear strategy alongside jaw-dropping design to make your brand truly unbeatable. You can check them out via their website at notepadstudio.com. Lastly, as a little benefit for the listener, I've teamed up with The Fell Store, an independent business created in lockdown to inspire more people to enjoy the mental and physical benefits of nature and the outdoors. They provide tasty, lightweight, dehydrated and freeze-dried meals ideal for any outdoor adventure. You can use the promo code EVOLVE15 on checkout to get 15% off all meals. Welcome to episode 33 of the Evolve Pod. Before I introduce this episode, I really want to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of you who's taken the time to listen and support the Evolve Pod. If you follow me on social media, you would have seen a post last week showing that the pod has been listened to over 4,000 times in over 40 different countries. I'm genuinely blown away by this and I'm hugely appreciative of all the listens and the shares and the support. The pod started as a little project in 2020, but it's grown into something beautiful and something that I'm immensely proud of. So I want to listen to the listener. If you're up for it, please do send me a quick note either on social media or ali at triswimcoaching.com. That's T-R-I swimcoaching.com. Tell me a bit about who you are, where you're from and what brings you to the podcast. I'm just really keen to learn a little bit more about my listeners. So episode 33 brings part two with the Atlantic Flyers. These guys challenge themselves to row the Atlantic. After 36 days and 24 minutes of rowing, essentially two hours on and two hours off, they finished second in all boats. A huge achievement. We get into what it takes to row the Atlantic, the highs and the lows. We also look at what the money will do for Starlight UK, the charity that they were fundraising for, and they managed to raise nearly £50,000. So it's a really strong episode. One of the really powerful tunes is when we talked to Phil about how he connected with his daughter through this challenge. Isla went through a horrendous journey with leukemia. She's come out the other side fighting fit and Phil really wanted to do this challenge so he could grow closer to her. So grab a coffee, listen, learn and grow. Hey guys, welcome back to the Evolve Pod. It's really good to see you all on screen. I know we're missing one person, but for the benefit of the listener, I'm here with the Atlantic Flyers following their very, very, very successful trip across the Atlantic. Um, guys, it's so good to have you back. How are you getting on? Uh, thanks, thanks for having us on, Ali. Really good to be back. Um, I think this is the, the first time as well we've all been in the same, well, a, a Zoom call or same place to chat as well. So it's uh, nice to see the other guys. Happy days, Chris. I, a couple of things I want to start with you. Um, I, I, you just mentioned before that you've uh, unfortunately tested positive for COVID. Well, a, an absolute bummer, like coming back down to earth after a massive experience like that. But equally, I was amazed to hear that, you know, you guys after uh, crossing the Atlantic, you know, you had a bit of downtime. You kind of each went off in your own ways to do your own thing. And you chose to go sailing. <laughs> which is like, yeah. um, which is amazing. You know, you spent 36 days in a boat crossing the Atlantic and then, you know, you go back for some more. So how was that little trip? Was it good? Mate, awesome. Uh, a completely different experience being on a 40-foot catamaran to being, uh, <laughs> uh, being on the little rowing boat. So, yeah, mate, it's right. It was not arduous in the slightest. Uh, nice nice well so the last time we chatted it was just before Christmas it was beginning of sort of mid-December wasn't it just just before you guys were going to set off and uh, you were busy getting your preparations done in San Sebastian ready to go and yeah you know 36 days and 24 minutes later you you came second out of all the boats which is just incredible um 
Um, we were gunning for you the whole way. We kept on kind of checking in to see how you were going and, and what an experience it must have been. And there's so much stuff that I want to get into, but Phil, I'll start with you. How's it been kind of integrating back into normal life from, from such a sort of crazy experience at sea? So life at sea was so simple. It, it was a hard routine, but it is really simple. Uh, we had one job and that was to row uh, and get the boat going as fast as we possibly could. Uh, and outside of that, we were sleeping, a couple of little jobs, but a really easy routine. Um, and, and I guess coming back home, it's been a bit of a, a sensory overload. It's in fact, as soon as we stepped off the boat, uh, speaking to somebody other than Chris or Sai or Sonny, that was a bit of a shock. Uh, and then having to, I guess, get on with real life, emails, text messages, maybe social media, the workplace, uh, chores at home. Uh, I guess that 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 has taken some getting used to, uh, and it certainly made me realise what a privilege it was to do what we did and to have the opportunity. Uh, so slowly easing back into it, and I really don't want to lose sight of all those incredible lessons we learnt on the ocean. That's amazing. I think you know, I you know, I've never been away for as long as you have in in such a kind of a big space. But certainly, I, I really resonate with that. You know, you. There's so much sort of things that we have to do on a day by day that I, I imagine when you're in the middle of the ocean, those things are just kind of parked. So I don't need to bother with any of that. And as hard as the challenge might have been, it was probably very simplistic in many respects, which was probably really refreshing. Um, and yes, yeah, so you're, you're over in the States. How's your sort of recovery going from the from the challenge? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's, well, I'm, I'm sort of enjoying this kind of slow, uh, slow reintegration. Um, but um, yeah, it's been really, really nice. My wife's over here. So I sort of came to visit uh, friends and family uh, where I used to work. So um, it's been nice to do all that catch up. And uh, yeah, I've, I've actually been kind of blown away by how many people have been were following our journey and, and challenge. And uh, I think that was the big thing that struck me. You're, you're kind of in this isolation bubble. We were lucky enough to have somebody take care of a lot of the social media and communication aspects, but then realizing the sort of gravity of who's been watching, how many people have been following, and then um, all the kind of, you know, wishes and messages and, you know, just um, interaction with um, with friends and family that have been following along has been, been epic. So it's been, that's, it's really the challenge has only really started to hit home two, three weeks later, really, of what, what we did and what we were a part of. It's really, uh, it's really quite touching, actually, you mentioned that. I, I think I've experienced that before. But I think, you know, when you, people such as yourselves, you know, you've all done some exceptionally challenging things before, you know, attempting to, to row the Atlantic. And, you know, when you are contemplating something that you, you know, you've never done it before, so you don't actually know whether it is possible and you have that kind of fear of the unknown, I think, you know, there's, there's people out there that have, will look at some of the things you've done and then look at this and just be like so incredibly inspired by what you've managed to achieve and what you've managed to do not just the physical aspects of it but the mindset and the resilience and you know all the things that we'll probably get into on this podcast and you know I'd like to take this opportunity now to kind of congratulate all three of you who are on the call and also um, Sunny who unfortunately can't make it but also yeah to say well you know well done and thanks for all the inspiration and and for you know doing what you do because it does make a difference to a lot of people you know not only for Starlight and all the money you've managed to raise but yeah well done guys it's, it's really inspiring to see you kind of get out there and push yourselves so yeah Pat pats on the back all round um but I, one of the, yeah, you're welcome one of the things I want to start with I remember when we were talking a few weeks ago we were sort of asking about your sort of tactics and preparation for for the challenge and I was coming into that sort of episode of the pod thinking that it was a challenge to get yourself across the Atlantic but you all kind of hinted that it was a bit of a race and that you were kind of going into it with that sort of mindset of yes this is a challenge but it's also quite a quite an opportunity to actually have a go at racing this thing so when when you set off and you're kind of literally the first few you know um the first few kind of hours on the boat when did it kind of feel like it turned into an actual race so i think it's really interesting actually we we had some really good chats with um her human performance coach luke um in uh, he came out to lagomera has been supporting the team all the way through helping us with our physical training and our mental preparation for it and we all said that we wanted to get to the start line in a position where we could, uh, we were re we were ready and prepared to win the race, uh, and then we would 
just give the best account of ourselves as possible when we actually during the race. So I suppose that was kind of framed the mindset that we went into it with. Uh, and what's really interesting at the start is that you you set off out of Lagomero Harbour and um, you know, the, your three minute separations, you can see some boats on the horizon um, and but everyone starts going off in slightly different directions. So uh, with the weather conditions we had, some people started heading deep south. Uh, we were sort of a more of a direct line to with a, an island to, that we had to stay south of. And because of the weather conditions, we, we had to push a bit further south. So the race organisers gave us a, a no-go mark where we had to go south of that mark. And we were pretty, uh, you know, medium of the fleet ready for, uh, for how south we were going. And I think because of that, then you end up being, you, within a couple of days, you end up into isolation. Um, so then it's just actually, you're looking at a sea and a boat. Uh, and I think for the first two days, maybe three, we you could see other boats on the uh, AIS, so a transponder on the boat that picked up all the other boats around you. So you might be able to see a couple of those boats around, but you couldn't physically see them. So you were very quickly into isolation of just your team, your boat, and how you're performing. Um, so me personally, I didn't, I didn't feel it was a, once we're into that isolation period, it was just about, right, let's do everything we can do to make this boat go as fast as possible. And we had some really good discussions about data on the boat, about who uh, uh, who should get data off and, uh, you know, should we look at the YB races tracker? Should we um, look at what the other guys are doing? Are they going really far south? Are we on a good line at the moment? But we paid for a um, weather router who was looking at the weather systems around us. He's giving us a good good line to go on. So we just... Uh, we just had to trust um, trust his decision and just go go on that data. So myself personally, I didn't, didn't particularly want to look at data. I just wanted to go right. My sole raison d'etre is to get up, row as hard as I can for two hours, um, try uh, and do what I can do on the boat to help the guys out and be as good as I can be to uh, to row, and then um, uh, and just perform perform to my to the best of my ability. I suppose the actual, I didn't feel it was a real race until we were sort of in that last 36, uh, 36 hours or so when we were neck and neck against five in a row. Um, so that's when I really felt um, the competition side of stuff coming in. But up until that point, it, it was just, I would have wanted to be going, wanted this boat to go as fast as I can. What was the feeling of, um, so you talked about going into that sort of isolation period where you lose sight of land and lose sight of other boats. I imagine before you set off the kind of weeks preceding, it's quite full on and there's quite a lot of kind of uh, almost like a bit of a circus atmosphere around with, you know, lots of fanfare and look at what you're going to do. This is amazing. And people talking to you and interviews and videos and phones in your face, etc. So then suddenly being alone as a team, how did that feel? Is it? Oh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, let's go with Phil. How did that kind of feel, that 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 point when you suddenly are literally on your own as a team? You're right, Ali. It was such a stark contrast. Lagomera was this pressure cooker. Uh, first of all, you had all 36 boats lined up within feet of each other. Uh, crews which you knew you were going to be racing against. You were busily waxing your boat while they were waxing theirs, trying to, to, to look what they were doing, what competitive advantage. Uh, and the race start as well, it, incredibly well done, unbelievable atmosphere, cannons firing off uh, a big naval vessel. Uh, and knowing that, I guess, this, this big uh, eye of social media was focused on you right then and there. Uh, but, but you're right, you, you lost sight of land within, within 36 hours. Uh, we knew it was coming, but it, it did feel very quiet. Uh, and, and I think we quickly realised we were absolutely dependent on each other as a team for success and defining what success looked like. Uh, and, and that trust, that trust which we tried to build up over a couple of years in the campaign, it, it quickly became tested. And, and thankfully, you know, despite having very limited time to train together, uh, whether it's just a good personality fit or whether it's military training or whether it's a, I guess, a shared vision and purpose. Uh, I, th I think we, we quickly gelled and, and it meant that we, we I think, achieved our potential uh, throughout the race. So I, I think that's that's one of the things which I'm certainly most proud of. And I suspect the other boys are as well in terms of what we achieved with, I guess, 
very limited background in rowing uh, and very limited hours to, to spend on the project. I think, yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of elements of sort of team, which we'll, we'd, I'd like to come on to in a little bit, a little bit later about, you know, what has, what made your team really kind of perform in the way it did. Um, I know you guys did some meticulous planning preparations, you know, almost controlling everything you possibly could so that, you know, that you were going into that having kind of practiced and rehearsed everything possible. Was there anything throughout the the event, throughout the, the 36 days that kind of caught you out or was unexpected? Um, I think I think it was uh, for me. I see what the other guys say, but um, we, we, you're completely right. We did a lot of lot of work trying to kind of turn over those rocks um, of things that might kind of arise as we as we got you know onto that isolation period, um, as we you know, the race mindset, the team dynamics, and and uh, you know trying to just operate the boat well uh, when you're kind of fatigued. But um, it was it was really just that it is very hard to replicate doing those things for real for that extended period of time. And so you are kind of, and again, for me, I, I sort of had a very, almost no real endurance background of this. And, you know, and this is sort of so outside of the scope of what was my comfort zone. It just, there was no replication for the real thing. So I, I found that just um, the ability to accept my environment was the biggest uh hurdle i'd say in that first seven days or so um you know and i like i, I laugh with cs so i have a sort of a, a bit of a wibble on day four i woke up in the middle of the night 4 a.m and uh i did not want to be in the cabin and i didn't want to be on deck and those are my two options and i basically came out i had sort of 10 minutes of reflection slash expletives in the cabin on my own about like surely this is this is not the, my next, you know, month and a half on the ocean. And uh, just went outside and um, spoke to CS and was just like, uh, mate, I'm having a bit of a hard time. <laughs> and, sort of vo- and sort of voiced what was going on. And he sort of uh, talked me through, like, you know, 10 minutes of my two-hour shift. We just sort of spoke about it, talked about it, processed about it. And, and, that was, and it was fantastic. And, 10 minutes, and then we were then totally fine after that. But I think it was just that, it was that shock of capture that except your environment and there wasn't really a way to really replicate that for me personally and but again it's just part of the process and part of the kind of amazing experience that was the challenge you know it was it was giving into that environment and and you, you kind of highlighted that there was this fanfare and media circus that was going around and and rightly so because it's, it's an awesome challenge and really very well run and um, but that is the absolute antithesis of the the challenge you go from the most stimulation right before you leave to like absolutely nothing and and accepting that environment and I felt it was I think that's what we did very well is help us through that process um, of accepting sort of where we were and as soon as we did that and I'm sure we all would say it happened on different days into that challenge for each of us then we could really focus on performing as a team until that happened me personally I was I was still fighting it a little bit until that kind of probably seven days in or so yeah, that's quite that's quite cool to hear about you know accepting the environment because that is an extreme thing you know where where you are <laughs> your options is sitting on the boat rowing or sitting in the cabin not rowing and you didn't want to do either and it's not like you can just stop and get off and yeah exactly that, as I the more I think about that the more stressful I can imagine that would have been at that for those ten minutes. And again, it, I guess it wraps back into teamwork having someone like Chris there that you could talk to and you know from wise words I'm sure from Chris to sort of help you through that 10 minutes to get you back on track as a team and and then you know that that wobble is is kind of passed and done you've accepted where you are and what you're doing so again I think that the the element of teamwork is so strong in in what you guys are talking about was there anything for you Chris that that came up that was slightly unexpected I think um so really benefited from a perhaps our military military experience this one and uh, um I suppose I'd liken it to uh, when I was in the commando course um we'd get used to go and exercise it'd take me three days to get acclimatized to being out on exercise and living in the field and uh being cold and wet and having to do fears and carry big weights around so I kind of approached it going 
going into the race, I knew that was going to come. And I, uh, kind of what I said to Sian, that it's, I think it takes three days for the body to adjust to, to the new environment. But what I found really interesting was that um, within the first week, I think all of us um, hated the night because it was just this isolation. Uh, it, during the day, you could kind of see stuff. You could look outside the boat. Um, you know, we, were, we were looking for, for sea life and bits and pieces like that. But when night came in, um, your world just just dropped down, and you could only. And I was sat at the stern of the boat, looking at the uh, uh, the Garmin's, which had our, our numbers and miles to go, our boat speed, and that sort of stuff. And just because it's a little bit bright, you know, there was no, there's just the stars out there and the moon. Um, but when the moon went away, you know, the, these numbers just focused your attention. You couldn't take your eyes off them. So you were just doing two hours, just staring at a number that's changing once every twenty minutes. Um, of just ticking down a bit of, bit of mileage and that was just uh, really mentally difficult to to get your head around and just the lack of stimulation I, I found really uh, all of us were, were struggled with that in the first week and then um, but you roll on to the to the end of the race all of us loved the night because uh, you know we were just so in tune with the environment we're, we're just talking about the stars that we saw and um, uh, you know, it's, we're looking forward to the sunrises and the moonsets and all that sort of stuff. And it was, and it was just, it was a wonderful thing to go through that sort of adaption of the mind and your body to to the environment. So, um, um, yeah, it was it was a, a, a privilege to do really, um, and uh, I really enjoyed it. That's magic. That's really cool. I like that. The the kind of the yeah the sort of transferring from really struggling to engage with the environment and almost being a bit suffocated by it to then actually really kind of engaging with it and almost being part of that. That's really cool. Um, yeah, amazing. So you kind of alluded to some of the things there, you know, in terms of the the sea life and the, the sunrises and the moon sets, et cetera. What are, what are the kind of the highs that you can remember, Phil? I think highs well, and lows are at a good point. Yeah, well, let's go for the highs first. <laughs> <laughs> what, what surprised me is how quickly they come, how suddenly they come and how infectious the rest of the team is. I, I felt like the whole team were pretty much had the same emotional state. Uh, we, we really got in tune with each other. Uh, the big highs, I, I think they were sometimes doing news coming onto the boat. Um, I, I think news that the campaign was going really well in terms of money being raised for Starlight that. That was a huge bonus, as, as well as some really personal messages, which I think we each got. Um, the, the obvious one is is nature as well. Uh, big whales, huge whales, just just swimming alongside the boat, and then this enormous tail coming out of the water, and and this pods of dolphins of which we saw two big pods. Uh, but I think we were lured into a false sense of security on on probably day two. We saw this pod of about 200 dolphins come past the boat. Incredible sight, all jumping out of the water. And we were like, don't bother filming it. We, we've got we've got, you know, 30 odd days of this. <laughs> it's going it's to happen every day. <laughs> and, and, and then it, it seemed almost like weeks went by where we'd see nothing. Uh, but one comedy incident where it's just coming to sunset. Uh, we're probably maybe 10 days or a week to the finish at this point. And we were having a good old curse about the lack of wildlife and the wildlife really letting us down. Uh, and, and this, uh, I think we were particularly calling out dolphins for not really playing the game. And, and then all of a sudden, these dolphins just popped out of the water right next to the boat and put on this incredible display uh quickly grabbed the camera this time managed to film sign naked for half of it but got some good dolphin shots as well so that was an incredible treat as well so i think those would definitely be the highs for me other okay. than the finish which yeah yeah, of <laughs> course. yeah, yeah. we'll come to that definitely and for you and for you si any other kind of any other sort of really high good memories yeah, they're just like, yeah, definitely echo what Phil said. I, I would say it was, it, I thought it was really interesting that the, the highs could actually be um, back to the baseline of something. So like we, we already noticed that you'd sort of detect like change in state and our kind of morale on the boat. Um, for, for example, um, you, you, you kind of be bobbing along, there'll be like, you know, glass, absolutely, the Atlant we've saw like days where it was just absolutely like mill pond flat and it's beautiful at sunset. 
Um, but after a while with no wind, just sort of be longing for this state change. You're like, I just want to see a wave or some wind or whatever it might be. And you'll you'll get what you wish for. So you'll get like rain clouds come through, or um, you know, you'll get like big swell, and then you'll be, or you'll get like a beam on seas, and you'll be like, oh god, I, this is now really challenging. Uh, and then the, the the ocean will sort of return you to that baseline state that you might be bored, have been bored with, or like longing for it to change before, and you'll be like almost elated. You're like you're you'll now be like so grateful that you can make progress, that you can do your admin, that you can talk and be social on the boat because now you can all be on deck at the same time. And so you get these sort of really unexpected the high you, you it would almost be this gratitude thing where you weren't grateful for something it would change you that would be taken away and then you'd be returned to that previous state where you'll now all be so grateful for what you had before that you were kind of moaning about almost <laughs> you get these kind of really interesting highs and they would and they would come in unexpected ways so that's kind of an unusual one that i didn't really expect oh nice nice and yeah. chris um, I think the highest, so I, I set off there really wanting to, <coughs> excuse me, I really wanted to experience nature. I wanted to see what the, uh, what the weather could throw at us, you know, what the seeds could throw at us. And if you're going to go do this challenge, I wanted to, to go, go jump, jump headfirst in and, uh, and see what, uh, what it could throw at us. I think we had a really flat year, um, compared to other years. So we had to really earn our crossing and, and row every, 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 uh, mile of it but there was uh, one instance that um so i was we we were looking was so myself on deck and we looked but looked out the back and we saw a big uh big rain shower coming through and this is probably four weeks into it um none of us had a really good wash for for a while so i thought oh, i'll just uh, strip off naked i'll um i'll wash myself uh put lather myself up with some soap so I turned around and said, uh, mate, do you think I could uh, fit a poo in before that rain shower hits us? So I thought, yeah, probably. So he, he, um, he jumped on the bucket and this rain shower came through pretty quickly. And it caught us. Uh, so I was um, mid doing his business uh, and I was enjoying the, uh, enjoying the wash. But then behind that was a big old squall. And the winds picked up significantly um, to sort of 30, 40 miles an hour, uh, probably, probably in the 40 mile an hour region. And um, and what was really interesting is that rather than the seas getting bigger, the seas flattened out, um, but it knocked us beam on. Um, we were 90 degrees to the waves. Uh, and the problem with that is that when you're a little rowing boat, you can't, um, you can't put the oar in to be able to turn yourself around. So I jumped on the, on the right-hand oar, started trying to pull us around, called for Sonny, who'd literally just got in the cabin. So uh, um, he, he, jumped, he came out of the cabin, again, start bullet naked starts jumping on the oar trying to push around as well signs there having a having a poo like don't know what to do with it throw it overboard <laughs> um, i was just trying to hold on at that point i think it's <laughs> a 40 mile around yeah. poo yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And then, exactly. uh, but then we got the uh, and fields in the cabin go uh, in the stern cabin um mid-sleep uh going should i come out what's going on We're like no stay in the cabin <laughs> uh, because it's uh, we can't fit three of us on deck at this point and um and so we uh, we got Phil to knock the auto tiller off. Uh, Sire then jumps on, starts hand steering it, and Sonny and I um, uh, managed to put some power down into the oars. But we got this amazing surf uh, where the wind came behind us and put us onto these these waves that flattened out, uh, and we were we were absolutely flying. We had fourteen knots in the boat, um, and it was just just brilliant. So for me, that was that was a real high point and something I, I think I'll, I'll remember because it was just the team dynamic of everybody in this sort of random random naked state uh all doing thing <laughs> on the boat uh but then you had the power of the, of the, of the weather coming through and then we got some really you know, great boat speed out of it and we were all just giggling with laughter and you know and uh, uh what could i think what could have been interpreted as as a quite um uh maybe a little bit of a dangerous situation actually turned out to something that was really fun and, and we had a great time from it so that was a, that was a real high point for me Amazing. Just on that note of the the weather and the and the and the waves, did you did you experience any kind of severe adverse weather, or did you said you were quite kind of um, it was quite a flat crossing compared to previous years? 
Yeah, well, so what's interesting is that so the waves are generated by the wind over the sea. Mm. Um, so if you have uh, a long fetch, then uh, you can get um, waves coming from that direction. Um, so we had a, a large swell, which was north and south. And that was, you know, if you measured the height of the swell, you could get probably 10 metres out of it. Um, and so that's that's quite big. But the periodic, periodicity of it is um, is quite far away. So you just end up sort of bobbing on this wave going top to bottom and just get moved along uh, nicely. And then you had the shoulder chop, which was for us when we, the trade winds were just starting to kick in. They hadn't had a much, uh, hadn't had a very long fetch to them. So um, the waves were quite, quite short um, and choppy. So you had these sort of two, two wave systems we had to contend with. So when you talk about big seas, you, you've got to uh, delineate between big swell and big waves, which is chop. So we, we had um, had some big waves, we had some strong winds, we had some um, heavy rain showers. Um, you know, we had, uh, it, it was definitely challenging. And I know other boats had some, um, some particularly interesting times where they're sliding backwards down a wave at 14 knots. Um, which had been interesting for them. But um, I think compared to, to other years where perhaps they had bigger waves or bigger chop, um, you know, we, we were uh, fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it. Nice. That's cool. Good to hear. So, okay, looking at social media, uh, obviously following you guys throughout your challenge, and there was lots of cool little videos talking of dolphins that we that you put up that we've all had a look at. But there was also some quite powerful videos about, you know, the times when it definitely wasn't as easy. And, uh, you know, Phil, I, I, I want to sort of, um, you know, give you my condolences to hear of your father-in-law passing while you were on the Atlantic. And I, 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 if you don't mind, I want to kind of talk about that and how, how that kind of spurred you and the team on to kind of real, make a real push towards, uh, towards the finish line. Because that must have been quite a hard thing to hear in in the middle of nowhere sure thanks ali thanks for the condolences i think one thing to point out about the row um it, it's incredible challenge uh we're doing it for what we believed was a, a really good cause but there's a, a hugely selfish element to it uh, you know you're committing so much time to the planning the preparation and then you're away for uh, best part of seven weeks in, in terms of the time in Lagomera to start in the row itself. So it puts a pretty heavy toll on family and friends, work colleagues. Um, uh, and so I guess we're all quite conscious of that going into it. We tried to prepare as best we could to make sure lives were in as good order. Uh, but I definitely felt in the middle of the Atlantic, uh, and the news came when um, we were, I think, as you said, around about 30 days in, fatigue rates were, were really high. And so when the news came in, I, I felt I felt rock bottom. I felt really selfish for being away from my wife and having to uh, just just con trying to console her via a sat phone. It just felt woefully inadequate. So definitely for a period of about... Uh, 24 hours at least, I, I felt really low. But I, the boys were so in tune. I remember I came out, I remember Chris just grabbing me, giving me a big man hug on, on deck, uh, and the boys just, just completely got around me. Um, and yet it was something we could turn to our advantage. There were lots of reasons why we all wanted to get to the finish line, not just the race, not just completing it, but it was another, another purpose to, to really drive and work as hard as we could to, to get there. So I, I definitely think we all all used it as positive as we could, um, and, and it, it became an, another another source of power. Uh, that's really good that you know there's always, I think bad news is always going to come at some point, and it's how you can use that to really spur yourselves on to 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 achieve what you were trying to achieve. And I massively commend you on that because that would have been quite a quite an awful scenario for you so yeah well well done and well done again to the guys for pulling around and getting you through I mean what a, an amazing team it's brilliant um I, I'd, I'd like to talk about this sort of uh it gets sort of thrown around a lot two hours on two hours off so you're doing two hours on two hours off for 36 days and does that become because you said you, you said at the beginning you got into a really good routine pretty quickly and you kind of gelled as a team starts to work really well does that two hours on two hours off start to get a bit monotonous after a while or is it do you become like a almost like robots 
like you, you, you almost know when your two hours is up. How does that sort of manifest over 36 days? I mean, I've done a, um, a few people have done the, the Goggins challenge before where you're kind of, you're running, sleeping, running, sleeping, running, sleeping for like a whole weekend. And that sort of, you start to get a bit bored of that when you're halfway through, but that's only for a weekend. So I can't imagine what two hours on, two hours off and the kind of the fatigue and all that, how that kind of manifests in, in you. So Sai, is there any, anything you can kind of give us on that, on to how you sort of, how you dealt with that? Yeah, I think it's, um, we, we kind of all went out the gate sort of with this two hours on, two hours off thing. But we, I think we had a kind of frank chat going like, that's, that's the kind of baseline, but don't be afraid to, afraid to change it. And sort of mm. so CS kind of alluded, he spoke about some of the weather. And it was, it was almost actually like the lack of weather environment that kind of pushed us into changing things. So we, we for example, it was really hot in the day, nowhere to hide. Um, and so that heat was quite oppressive. Um, so the way we kind of skimmed it for a bit more variety and just to sort of like protect our, I guess, performance and, and try and do the best in the race was we um, we sort of did an hour on, an hour off by day um, just to get us out of that heat. And um, we did two hours on, two hours off by night. So an, an it is quite intimidating knowing you've got that routine, but we did do things to change it up to almost kind of like compartmentalise the day and give us a bit of, um, bit of variety and a bit of... Uh, you know, you'd, you'd get, you'd be like, oh, the, the day's finished. I'm into my two hours on, two hours off now. Um, and, and so you'd almost, like CS said, you'd almost sort of long for the night because you knew you got a little bit more rest. You knew you got a, um, you got those cooler kind of periods you could row in. And you, uh, and so that's one of the things we did fairly early on, um, probably like probably 36 hours, 48 hours into the challenge. And we did that right up until the end. Uh, and we would mix in little bits of three up at the start, three up at the end when we were racing or we got poorer weather. Um, but let's see what the other guys say, but it was nice to have an established routine like that um, because it gave you something to hang your hat on. And as and I think that's something I was very conscious of when, when um, your routine had a steady state, it was more manageable. You could kind of like, it was metronomic, you could call it, set your day by it, set your routine by it. And when things were changing or there was uncertainty, that would drive stress and and maybe a little bit, you it would push you into that stressful state. So I think it helped us that we built in kind of variety within that stable routine. I guess with all of your careers in the, in the military and in, in the RAF, kind of routine is quite a big part of that. So I guess, did you take that kind of principle of having a good solid routine that has an element of flexibility into, into this challenge? I'll give that to Chris. <laughs> well, I think, I think Phil was like a machine. Uh, you could <laughs> literally set your watch by him. Mm -hmm. Minute five, three, his alarm would go off. Uh, minute five, seven, he'd be on deck. He'd have a wee, <laughs> he'd be on the oars, on the hour, regardless. Uh, so he was just rigid. Absolutely. That was impressive. Nice. Didn't miss a shift. <laughs> so Phil, I'll bring, I will bring it back to you. So one of the things we talked about in the, in the first episode we did um, was your reasons why. And obviously, um, you know, reflecting back on the, the journey your daughter went through with leukemia and this Atlantic row was the challenge that kind of, I think it was, was aimed to sort of, yes, to do the fundraising to raise awareness, but on a very personal level for you was to bring you closer to Isla and what she went through in terms of the challenges and the, and the, and the hardships that she went through as, as a young, as a young girl. Do you feel like the, you achieved that through the challenge? So Ali, you're absolutely right. That, that's what I really wanted to get out of the row. Um, I, I think watching Isla go through her treatment for leukemia, I felt like I, I couldn't do anything positive. Uh, I also felt I couldn't relate to what she went through. Uh, and so I wanted to, to, to try and do something which I guess was a little bit risky. The outcome wasn't certain. Um, there was definitely going to be some pain involved. Uh, and to try and use that experience to relate to Isla, I definitely felt the row allowed me to do that. Um, almost every stage I was able to relate to something. Uh, initially, you know, on the first night, it was is like the, the weird noises and, and being in a new environment. And I thought back to her being in hospital and how it must have felt and, and sounded. Then there were just some grueling and brutal shifts. 
Uh, and again, I just thought you know, how, how much pain she must have gone through, how much she must have endured. And then the length of it, I, I think what I realised on day two that we had 250 you know, back-to-back shifts until we might get a bit of rest at the end. That was just so impossible to get my head around. And, and it took me back to the start of her cancer treatment where there was that uncertainty. There was that ridiculously long tunnel before any light was going to be at the end of it. So at every step of the way, I, I felt I could relate to the experience. Clearly, I, it was something totally different. But I, I personally got enormous amount out of that experience and I, I do feel it, it's bonded me and Isla uh, I do feel so much closer to her um, and, and, and yeah uh, <laughs> I'm really proud that I was able to have such an incredible team which which helped me experience that and, and went through it and and understood the purpose behind it oh, that's amazing that's really cool I bet you gave her a big old cuddle when you got home <laughs> uh, the, the, the word team keeps coming up in in this and obviously you know, it's there's no way you could really con- even consider doing a challenge like this without having a half decent to pretty decent team of people around you. Um, you know, I, I guess from all your previous experiences with the challenges that you've undertaken, uh, the various ultra things that you that you've all done, and also your work in the military, like th- the team aspect is hugely important. And I'm sure you've all got quite a good grounding and understanding of what it means to be in and to create a good team. What have you learned from the Atlantic Row in terms of teamwork that you can then take forwards either back into your careers or, or back into if you're going to challenge yourselves in something else? What kind of aspects of having a team have, have really been reinforced for you? I'll, I'll give that one to Sai. I just um, I think it was, it was pretty evident from early on that we wanted to sort of curate this, this environment of trust, honesty, um, you know, um, not letting items fester if people have things that are grating on them voice it um talk about it and uh, and we'll just and we'll just sort of address those issues and i think that just became very very important from you know in this sort of conception to the the challenge as it the two weeks prior we found that there were things again we talked about turning over those rocks and talking about issues that may appear on the boat um but there were several things that just we just didn't know we're going to happen until we got on there so already having that kind of contract and a very sort of positive open honest environment um, within that small team especially in a kind of such a tiny physical space which kind of meant that you could put yourself in a tiny isolated mental space very easily if you were dealing with a problem an issue um and, and so really for me that was like the the number one, that kind of environment that we created of being able to voice things, talk about things together, um, emotional intelligence within the team to be able to like read each other, you know, when do we talk about it? When do we give each other that mental space? Cause you couldn't give each other that physical space. So I think, I think that was the most important thing, the way we, we brought up issues, talked about them and then addressed them as we, we kind of moved on. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that side of the, the teamwork and, you know, having that openness and honesty, because I think, you know, there's a lot, a lot talked about teams and successful teams, you know, uh, around. And I think having that, um, yeah, that, again, openness and honesty is fundamental to a team and, and having that ability to empathise with each other and know when is the right time to discuss or to make changes and when's the right time to maybe take the piss and kind of <laughs> motivate etc and having that understanding and that consciousness you know while in the middle of the ocean in a tiny boat with three other guys I think is is, is brilliant and I think they, those kind of lessons I'm, I'm sure will benefit you know your careers and, and other things that you choose to do moving forwards. Chris you, you've uh, obviously I know you from previously anyway and in the interactions that we've had over the course of the last kind of eight weeks eight nine weeks or so um, you've kind of come across as the kind of the cool, calm and collected one. Did you have any time on the boat where you were a little bit kind of, yeah, what, what were the kind of some of the lows for you? So um, I was actually the grumpy one on the boat. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I think for me, actually, like a, a big, big thing was um, 
the row was great for me just in terms of uh, sort of cementing a, a challenge and something to focus on and something to work towards. But the team aspect of it, I I struggled with certain elements of, um, as I said before, like our contract was to get up and make the boat as fast as possible. So I would get really grumpy if I was, if I slept in a bit, I'd say I get that little tap on the shoulder from Phil, like, hey, you're on, you're on shift now. And I'd wake up fuming with myself and I'd <laughs> carry that through. And the, I think the other boys flipped me as I was in the grump again. But I was like, oh, come on, you said you're going to do the best of the team and you just, you, you've just given up and you, know, you laid in or you've fallen back asleep and that sort of stuff. So it's, um, I think that's, that was tough to get around if you get your, you know, trying to get your head in the right space and, and not carry that forward, uh, which I, I, I struggle with. But, you know, like I say, I, I had to say, I didn't actually cross over with Phil much, but you, you'd see Phil as this like beacon of uh, uh, you know, just absolutely getting up, nailing it every time. Uh, so I'd watch him go out of the cabin and get and almost with jealousy as he's uh, just, just smashing through and putting, putting that 100% into each, each row. Then I'd have Sunny and uh, Sai behind me, just chatting and um, uh, keeping me keeping me focused, and you know, giving me something to think about other than uh, other than my hands, which were were sore, uh, or how tired I was feeling, or you know, all that sort of stuff. So um, I think there were there were definite low points, um, but as a team, like you know, Sai mentioned. Um, it's about recognizing those within the team, recognizing each. Um, each person's traits, the way they deal with stuff differently, um, and then just trying to support them through it, um, and equally not getting wound up at the way that somebody does something, um, because we all approach things in different ways, and um, especially in such a um, compressed environment, you know, you've you've got to you've got to give each other a bit of flex and, and understand that okay, I'm feeling this, but he might just be interpreting that in a slightly different way. And that, that's the way he wants to deal with it and the way he approaches it. Um, and so to compartmentalise that and then kind of look into, have that emotional intelligence to look into what the other guy might be experiencing and how he's perceiving something, um, it's really, really important. So, yeah, I think that's a good takeaway for me. Yeah, and I think one thing that I still can't get my head around is the, the, the fatigue that you all must have been feeling, you know, not just the physical fatigue. I mean, that's clear and obvious and, you, you know, we've all been tired and we all pushed through, but I think the, the, the repetitive fatigue and the probably like aching for more and more sleep, but not actually being able to take it is something I can't get quite get my head around at the moment. Cause that must've been pretty, I don't know, debilitating potentially at times. Um, Phil, what, what do you make of that? Because Chris described you as almost like a machine or a robot bang on off on off is there any point where you kind of you did really struggle with the the sort of the fatigue in terms of your sort of mentality so if, if you speak to my wife ali she'll tell you <laughs> that i i need a lot of sleep <laughs> and i'm not good when i don't have it uh, but i am good at responding to an alarm <laughs> okay yeah 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 <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> What what Chris didn't see is what happened after he got his head down, and I was just this this mess which Sai had to deal with. <laughs> uh, so I I think the first week you you really notice your fatigue building; it's accumulating, uh, and, and you you realise you you're getting uh, much lower functioning um, as, as time goes on and then after a week I think it plateaus I, I don't, you're certainly not recovering or recuperating but it just becomes the new normal uh, when you when you notice it is when you're doing pretty straightforward mathematics we're, we're trying to calculate how many miles we're doing and we're making stupid errors with with very simple maths I, I think that's when you notice it but in, in terms of dealing with it I, I think one you can't look too long you can't think I've got I've got two hours. You certainly can't think I've got another five shifts today or I, we're a thousand miles from, from land. That is mentally unhealthy. So we have to break it down. Sometimes you're feeling strong. You can start thinking about 48 hours. But often it was just that that two hour block or even getting to the water break or the shift changeover for uh, your, your partner who, who's going to change it halfway. 
Uh, and, and that's what you had to focus on then and there. Uh, just really break it down into bite-sized chunks. And I, I think the whole mission, it, it's just like the saying, how do you eat an elephant? It's one, one bite at a time. And I think that really applied. Uh, and, and I think as long as you could keep focusing on them small wins and tell yourself, just, just like I told myself with Isla's journey, this cannot go on forever. This cannot go on forever. Uh, you, you can get through it. <laughs> Plus, we all wanted to do it. And it's easy to lose sight of that. Uh, uh, <laughs> and I think, um, yeah, Chris and Sidey printed out these, these great little stickers, which are in a cabin, uh, a little arrow pointing out to the deck saying, this is it. And it was it. It what we've been waiting for, for you know two years of planning. And if you lost sight of that, uh, you were failing. Uh, and so however tough it was, you just had to take yourself back to that. Nice. And I think, yeah, going back to what you said about chunking it up or breaking, breaking it up and sort of celebrating the small wins, you know, every two hours or wait, waiting for that water break is a really, really good kind of theme for people to take away. Actually, you know, it's not always about focusing on the long game. It's about the here and now and getting yourself through to the next sort of checkpoint. Um, so let, let's let's bring it towards the, the end of the race. You know, and you had a, a real close battle between between the other boat for third second and third place how did it feel to kind of to come into port and step off that boat knowing that you'd put down an you know a hell of an effort over those last kind of 36 hours because it was it was you know I was watching following on socials and on, on the on the app and it's kind of like, even my mum was watching my mum was messaging me going have you seen the guys look at what look how close it is it was brilliant it was really entertaining and you know it's entertaining for me like sat on my sofa watching this thing on my app this boat move but you were the guys actually in that boat putting down the hard yards like how did it feel to step off that boat um you know in second place achieving all you'd achieved the money raised which will come to shortly chris what was it like that first step I think for me, it was, it was crossing the finish line, which is slightly separated from when you step ashore. Yeah. But um, yeah, when you could when you could see, I think for us, we we recognised that we were going to get second place, um, and we just I, and it was mainly down to the the weather conditions that we were experiencing at the time. But you know, we were working really hard to uh, to try and cement that second place, um, and then we saw Antigua. Uh, just coming up over the horizon at night time you can see the lights uh lights shining through um just on the horizon and then during the day we're like cool boys this is it you know we've done it we're we're here we're um and we just wanted to enjoy that enjoy that running but as soon as we crossed that finish line it's just the the emotion um just it, for me it suddenly hit me um and that's when I really noticed the emotion of uh, of finishing it and the sort of relief uh of you know, we've done this, we've achieved something that we all had uh, you know, been working towards for three years. We've invested so much time and money into to, to try and make this happen. And we've had an amazing team of supporters uh, and sponsors and friends and family have given up uh, so much to, to help us get here. It was that sort of realisation of, you know, we've, we've done it as we crossed the finish line. And I think then uh, when we got ashore, there were so many people, I just had a a uh, bit of a, an overload with looking at all these faces and hearing voices and stuff. So, um, but yeah, the, the finish line was the uh, was a big one for me. I think even so, I I watched some of the videos of the of you guys stepping off the boat, and one of the things that really struck me in terms of what I noticed and what I thought you guys might have picked up on was you spend thirty six days at sea, then you're stepping off a boat, and one of the first things you have to do is bang a mask on. And that must have been like, I know why we all know the reasons why you have to put a mask on. That's not the point. The point is that you suddenly go from being this kind of isolation and this sort of beautiful, crazy, tiny sort of scenario to then suddenly your wallet back into the real world. That must have been quite, uh, I don't know, uh, draining, quite a sort of uh, emotional sort of like eyes wide like hang on a minute what have we what what's just happened over the course of the last sort of 36 days what was that like for you psych i'm like stepping off the boat back into sort of thousands of people and things well yeah i think you yeah like cs you cross the finish line you're sort of soaking it up and then you and you sort of have this 400 meter kind of like troll on the boat slowly as friends and family kind of accumulate on the dock and you sort of really i 
you sort of realize this next 20, 30, 40 seconds is going to be quite precious because as you arrive at the dock, you the gravity of how many people are there. And like we were obviously finishing quite early on in the race. So there was a real buzz and and it, it is like you almost feel you almost feel it like you're like okay we're about, we're about to sort of re-enter and we sort of step off and it's kind of funny we, you see we and you sort of get thrust into this press conference and uh, and a lot of the things you don't really know about have happened so it is it is overwhelming I don't think I said anything in that press conference <laughs> apart from like apart from to Sonny don't don't move because I'm going to fall over with my land legs um, yeah it is just it you realise how. Um, we talked about sort of like you detect sort of change in state, not you sort of detect the acceleration or the change in state. And then once it's happened, you almost forget about it. And that one was like really big, just that kind of abundance of activity and people. And and you'll see us, we're like huddled together in a tight little unit. We kind of want to be like, you know, uh, together and just you're all kind of whispering and speaking about what you're feeling together. So it is, it is a huge kind of... Um, uh, it sort of has a huge impact on you, but it's it's wonderful, but it's so busy, and you, you you do have to like slowly kind of ease yourself back into it. I'm a chatter, and I was like blown away by just the amount of activity, you know. Oh, I can't, I, yeah, I can't imagine what that must have felt like. <laughs> can't imagine. Wow. So, um, Phil, I I, I want to bring it round round to uh, to Starlight. So, you know, you you finished the row. You guys have raised, well, all of you have raised nearly £50,000 to, to help, you know, little people such as Isla, you know, go through some horrendous things and to, and to help them come out the other side fighting fit. How, so the £50,000, what, what sort of, um, how will that actually help the, the charity? What will that money go towards? Sure. So Starlight, uh, one of many charities which supported Isla and the family uh, through a journey with leukaemia. Uh, Starlight concentrates its effort on the, the hospital environment, basically making hospitals fun environments for children. And that, that was so important for Isla when she went through her treatment. She spent weeks and weeks and weeks in, in hospital. Uh, and it was allowing her to, to not see this sterile environment. It was to make it fun. So they provide lots of the, the entertainment, uh, lots of the activities, lots of the the resources which, which allows hospitals to be fun, allowing play to continue in the hospital environment. Uh, and, and that's what Starlight um, will use the money for. And, and for me, and I know for the team, it was a huge sense of purpose throughout the campaign. Uh, we, we definitely felt inspired throughout the row. Um, and, and it was a real positive thing over and above just, just the race itself. So, so going forward, we, we know that money is going to go to support many children, many families across the UK who absolutely need their support in hospital. Oh, that's brilliant. That's so good to hear. And I think it would be uh, very cool if we could just advertise where people can donate a little bit more just to keep nudging that figure upwards. The more we can get in there, the more children are going to be helped. So where can people donate? I'll put it obviously. I'll put it in the show notes, obviously, so people can click a link. But for those listening, where where can they go and donate? That's really kind, Ali. Uh, so if anyone wants to find out about the challenge, they can go to our website, which is Atlantic Flyers, all one word, 2021.com. Uh, there's information about the team, the challenge, uh, and more importantly, there's a big donate button where you can donate straight to, to Starlight via our Just Giving page. Great. That's really cool, guys. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your, your story. It's a shame uh, Sonny couldn't make it today, but it's one of those things. But it's been really good to kind of to, to actually hear it from you guys. Obviously, you know, looking from the outside in, there's only so much you can get from social media. It's actually great to kind of actually have a proper chin wag and find out what it was really like. I guess my question to each of you now would be, I don't know, like, like how do you top that? What's next? <laughs> <laughs> is there is there any plans brewing or is it too early well i don't i don't think there's any uh any immediate plans in the pipeline i think we've all got any personal challenges to uh to get through you know uh size um got his wife out in america so uh got to focus on domestic domestic time phil's building a house and uh <laughs> and doing um we come on a job at Staff College. I'm about to leave the Air Force. 
uh, Sonny to find a new job and uh, and Sonny's uh, just moved into a new job as well in the Air Force. So I think we've all got our own focus uh, and focus on some quality family time and make up for everything we put our better half through for, <laughs> for a little bit. It's only fair. I'm sure there'll be something around the corner though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Watch this space. And watch this space. Well, guys, thanks again. And congratulations again. Like what an amazing achievement. And yeah, it's been really cool to kind of to 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 really hear about it from you guys and, and the challenges that you went through. So thank you very much for coming on. And uh, for the listeners, yeah, any likes and shares, if you want to contact the guys, please don't hesitate to follow them on socials. I'll put all their um, their tags on the show notes. And also, yeah, if you can donate, I'm sure Starlight would really appreciate it. Uh, any money they can get into that, that account would be, would be hugely beneficial. So, yeah, look after yourselves, everybody. And thanks for listening. 